You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. How's it going, Break It Down Heads? Welcome to the show today. And I'm, I call you Break It Down Heads. I don't know if that's really a good name. I'm trying to think of a way that I can sign on, uh, like a sign on, like people do on the radio. But I don't, I, nothing's stuck yet as far as how I can sign on to get comfortable. And so you'll have to suffer through it as I work on it. But I am trying to work on making this show live. That's a kind of a a passion, you could say, of mine right now. Instead of doing a bunch of uh, production and editing and stuff like that, I'm kind of leaning into... Uh, preparation and performance. So I want to do this show live, and that's what I'm exploring right now. And I'm doing it live on the internet as we speak. I'm playing around with this camera technology and Facebook Live and YouTube and stuff like that. Also, extremely happy that this show goes out on live streaming internet radio on Adobe. Uh, That's a new thing. Very happy to be there. And thank you to all the Adobe listeners that are that are here now. So what I'm going to do today is something, it's a little bit interactive. It's a a new experiment for me, and I'm going to try to take live calls from callers, guests. I'm going to have them right in here. And so I hope the callers aren't duds. I hope they've got something interesting to say, and I hope I can handle them well. But just know this, you guys are in the experiment with me. Podcasting is an amazing medium in that way that we get to try new stuff and experiment. And then there's no boss, there's no man, there's no company. It's just me communicating with people and uh, it's fun. It's a really fun thing to do, and it's amazing because it actually works. It actually reaches people. People like it, and so much so that I'm even able to have sponsors, which is actually a, a tremendous blessing. I really will say that. And so I'm going to tell you about a couple of sponsors for the show today. Number one is SoundRink, and SoundRink.com is an experience company, and uh This is special. They're proud to bring you exclusive VIP upgrades for the Taste of Chaos Tour. And in case you hadn't and aren't paying attention, got your head in the sand, the uh, Taste of Chaos Tour has got Dashboard Confessional, Taking Back Sunday, Seosin with Anthony Green, and the early November. Now, this is a full U.S. tour. It's going everywhere. It starts on June 3rd, and it's going to finish in San Bernardino with a giant festival version of the tour, and that's July 16th. So please head over to jabberjaw.soundrink.com, and you can use the coupon code break and you'll get five dollars off any vip upgrade and i really do hope that you'll go to the taste of chaos tour and please use my code get five dollars off your vip upgrade uh that'll say something good to those people about me and and about you and i think you really enjoy the show sound rink's a great company also king's road uh this episode is brought to you by king's road merch and the official jimmy eat world online store Kings Road and Jimmy World have brought back the entire catalog on exclusive recut colored vinyl. And I'm talking Static Prevails, Clarity, Bleed American, Futures, Chase This Light, along with the EP Stay On My Side Tonight. And on vinyl for the first time ever. Some of these are close to selling out already. And dude, vinyl's where it's at. Colored Jimmy World vinyl and stuff that's never been out before. It's a big deal. Happy to have them as a sponsor on the show. Check it out now. Head to kingsroadmerch.com slash jimmy for this and more. And I always tell you guys this, and I and 
no different today, and I'm not going to apologize for it, and I'm not going to stop telling you, and that is I want you to shop on Amazon.com, and I want you to do it through my link. It's really working. I'm actually making literally hundreds of dollars a month now. It's, it's amazing, and I, I'm very happy that people will shop on Amazon through my link, buy your diapers, your guitar strings, your printer ink, whatever it is that you do that will benefit this show. And it's actually starting to add up and really be a, a great help to this show. And then some people even take the extra mile and they want to pay for the show. They want to choose to pay what they want for it, a dollar episode, $5 an episode, whatever it is. And you can do it that and my website too. That's breakitdownpod.com. Calm. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a couple of callers here. I'm going to see if I can interface with this technology and, and we'll see how it goes. So here we go. I'm going to play the theme song and we'll get right to it. Break it down, Dada. Break it down. Oh, break it down. Break it down. Oh, break it down. Break it down. Oh, break it All right, so let's talk about some music and music business stuff. Is uh, is Will is William the first? Are we going to go in order? We don't need to go. In order. We don't need to go in order, but I'm going to take William first because I see him first. So, uh, William, from where? Uh, actually, your hometown, Tigerville, South Carolina. Done to go, boy or child. Go to a different school though. All right, now William, thank you for helping me make a point here, which is my southern accent is actually not that strong after all. Yours is much worse, and m many people thought you were just joking or making fun of me by the way you just talked. So repeat that again just exactly the same way. William, where are you from? I'm from Blue Ridge, Tigerville, South Carolina. Zone to go, Blue Ridge. I'm going somewhere else. So. <laughs> go Charleston. You're cracking people up. You're, I promise you you're cracking people up. I'm very comfortable and can understand what you're saying, but I promise you some people can't even understand you. I don't know if you've done a lot of traveling. Have you been out of state and other places? Well, actually, this summer we went out west for five weeks, 29 states, went all the way up to Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, California. Uh, strangely, it was Colorado where nobody could understand it. But we were on the phone making reservations, and people were like, you got to repeat that again. We can't understand you people. Where, where so, did people think you were from? Uh, I don't know where they thought I was from. I mean, I've gotten Georgia before, not really around here. You know, nobody cares about Greenville. Good. Well, thank you, William, for calling in and being a fan. Do you have a question, a music or music business question, something you want to talk? I do. So, you know, we always hear about, oh, the record label screwed me over. They told me to do this and this and this. So how exactly do record labels influence bands? How do they pressure them? What do they try and make them do? Both on a label, you know, kind of like Tooth and Nail or Christianish label and a major label like, you know, Atlantic. Mm -hmm. or universal or whatever. Well, How do they press you before you do that? Well, being that you're 18 years old, it kind of is uh, interesting to me already just to think about the only music business that you've ever seen or witnessed has only been that of, I would imagine, the last five, not even ten years, right? Like, when did you get into music and know what labels were? Well, about two years ago, actually, mm -hmm. um, I did. I was just listening to whatever, you know, Christian radio, whatever everybody else was to. And I'm like, I just started getting on iTunes. I'm like, ooh, I got to check out this band. got to check mm -hmm. out this band. But so and only a couple of years have you even been, like, tuned into music and what labels are and what bands do and stuff like that anyway. 
Pretty much, but I listen to like second wave tooth and nail stuff, like y'all under O, same boy, and all that. Second wave tooth tooth and nail stuff. Okay, well, so it's kind of interesting um, because I think what labels do now is completely different than the way they were in the '80s or in the '90s or the modern era in general. That what labels do and how they have influenced bands has changed tremendously and dramatic. Um, And here's the really good news about that. It's almost a solid progression forwards as far as the artist uh, having more uh, abilities, protections, and powers across the board. So if you go all the way back to the 50s, there was some really, really bad deals going on for artists then. People where, where they would, where the label would own everything, pay them nothing, use their talent. And this is like the, some Motown and soul. And back in those times, some of those people were just terribly uh, mistreated and commoditized and had no power over their own career, what happened whatsoever. And they would just be told to go in and record the single. And they, who knows, if they could get them to do it for a hundred bucks, then that takes care of this guy or whatever. And so there's a lot of artists from those days who never got paid. They just never got paid for their work or even original stuff. Um, I don't have anything to back that up off the top of my head, but that's basically the way it went. And as time progressed, uh, even the government got involved and instituted some laws and statutory rates uh, and mechanical royalties and stuff in a way that was to protect the artists and, and ensure that they got played, paid for everything, including when their music got replayed on radio and stuff like that. So then through the 80s and 90s and the rest of the n- newer era there, uh, labels have still been incredibly powerful. Like they still have and still to this day t- typically own the music itself. So when you sign to a record label, and you have a record already done or written, they both own the songs themselves and the master recordings of those songs. Now, as of the more modern times, the artists really typically do have the freedom to compose and write whatever they want to. So the label will give us an advance and sign us for two records. Now, the, the, the record we write next, that's up to us. Now, what the label has the op- opportunity to do then in response is not push it hard. They have the leverage of, well, we won't even release it. We'll own it. We'll pay for it, and we're never even going to sell it. So they could do that, theoretically, um, when you enter into a traditional uh, record label deal. But it's not really the case that people think it is where the A&R guy or the producer comes in and says, I don't hear a single, or write another song, or change that chord. That doesn't happen. It never happened to us. And I know that pressure can happen, but the impetus for it is always, listen, we want to help you have, the, uh, let's say in the mid-2000s or 90s, it would have been somebody would come in and listen and say, listen, I think you could turn this into a single, or why don't you work with that more? Or maybe they tell the producer, hey, try to see if you can get them to add another, see if you can convince the band to go along with this idea to make that song not be too long because we think it's great and we think it's going to go on the radio and we think we can all be huge here. So. That ultimately does wind up feeling like pressure, but it's not at all direct, and it's not at all controlling of art. And then, as the time goes on, and more the artists have had more and more abilities and powers, and the music business has collapsed, and music has become less uh, monetizable in some ways, and things have shifted, the artist has even more and more and more power to the place where it is today, where a, a band like Emory, or the bands that we do on BC Music, we can do whatever we want to do. The bands can own the music. We can crowdfund it if we want to. And so the labels, in response, have had to change roles and adjust and cater to the modern artist who really does have the ability 
ability to be in charge of their own career. So it's we're at an all-time high for art, uh, artists having power and ability to be able to, you know, control their own career. All right. All right, Thanks William. Thank you for thank you for call. calling in. All right, I gotta go because I gotta go sleep. <laughs> All right, night night, William. All right, that's uh, cool. So one call down. I did have a recording problem there, so I hope it works out and I can fix it later. But if you're just joining us now and didn't hear what I did before, sorry. Okay, I'm going to take another call now. I'm going to talk to Daniel. Daniel, what's going on? How's it going? Good. Thank you for joining us. Where are you, Daniel? I am uh, Fresno, California. Fresno, California, on the other side. How did you find uh, William's accent? Same as mine or different? Dear Lord. Uh, (laughs) Well, nothing nothing is worse than Toby's accent. That's the one that kills me when I listen to you guys. But his was... His was thicker than ours is. It was was thicker than all of yours, which was... It was a little difficult, but not too bad. All right. Well, what question do you have for us today? Well, okay, so my question, so you guys don't do, you know, regular touring anymore, like on a consistent basis, Mm -hmm. you know, all of you guys kind of have your own little side jobs, and that's what I've really been trying to figure out, like, so in a given, like, month or so, all of these different, you know, streams of income you have, whether it's podcasting or different freelance stuff or any of that, Mm -hmm. how does that turn into, like, how, how does that add up to, like, a living income, and the only reason I have, like, a back question about this, just because, so I've worked in a church for the last three years really since graduating and i'm losing that job pretty soon and i have Mm -hmm. really i've been starting to try to think of different ideas of i don't necessarily want to go out and find another day job or really even another church job right now i'm kind Uh of in a kind of in a space where i'm just not feeling it right now Mm -hmm. so you want to know if you could put together a multiple stream income or how that works yeah pretty much like how how do you how does that work? Like being you know an independent contractor, having all these different mm-hmm. like how do you, how, how do you, all right? We'll get we'll get more that? specific with it, and I'd be glad to explain how it works in detail. I want to make sure I'm answering the question right. Um, first of all, I typically advise people on music and creative business and podcasting and kind of the line of question that you're that you're asking now to to not if you can help it don't try to do it for an income that you depend on. I really strongly believe that's the uh, the way to go. I think you should keep your hobby and, and your interest what it is if you can do that sustainably and, and be interested. I think people jump way too quickly to, I like music, thus I need to make my living from music. I, I don't think that is necessarily the case or a great idea for a lot of people because it, I mean, it really does set you up for for failure essentially like you because then you're going to judge your music and your art by whether or not you made enough wage and it's not that's not the best barometer for art it really isn't so if art to me is something that's worth existing and should be done primarily because the the creation itself should you and other people believe that it should exist that is the the real reason to make something to do something that's podcasting or anything and then if you start on the outset already labeling it as a money thing i think that's misguided and misdirected and most likely to end with disappointment um on your thing it should always be about the creation itself now (laughs) and then unfortunately multiple streams and really hustling is just part of it because you know an art form or creation can really exist 
uh, and be awesome and tons of people like it and get value out of it long and, and it's completely legitimate long before it supports a human or much less a family um, with U.S. dollars. That's just crazy. There's tons of people who make art that's incredible that even if they tried to monetize it fully on all streams, it wouldn't be 60 grand a year sustainably and and repeating. No, that, that doesn't happen um, a lot, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it. So what I believe people need to be doing is designing for themselves proportional careers. Even musicians, um, if you can do something, let's say you could do something on the side, like let's say you had 800 fans that really liked your music and you could do a Christmas album once a year that was six songs. Well, you can kind of do the math on that. You can say, oh, if I do this and do this well, I could budget 120 hours a year to make this Christmas album to satisfy these fans. They're happy. I'm happy. It's balanced. I love doing the creation. I can get this time off work that covers me for a few weeks, or I can use my vacation on it. And everybody wins in that scenario, and you can continue on, you know, with the thing. If you find out you have a knack for T-shirts or launch a clothing brand or a supplemental podcast, or you can make money by licensing music and selling it to people for weddings or TV commercials, then all, all that stuff's great. And that's what that's the situation that, that I find myself in is one where for sure I have to, I have to make money from multiple sources or else uh, I couldn't do it from one. Almost nothing I do makes a, a full income and barely everything put together really does. I think my wife, this, this year is a possibility that I'll make the same as my wife. And I really hope so. Um, but she, but I'm, and I'm lucky enough to have a two income family. I don't think I could support my family even on all the stuff that I do in Seattle by itself, I think I would have had to bail or do something or, or redesign. So I've been very fortunate, but, um, you, we learned early on that, you know, you're out playing for a hundred dollars a night in a band and selling t-shirts and we're selling $1,500 of t-shirts a night and we're getting paid a hundred bucks. So maybe on our first few tours, we have fans, we have a record out, we got $10,000 from the label, which we spent on the recording and a van. You know, we spent six thousand dollars on the week's end, and then got another four grand that we spent on a van and trailer. That's how, and that was it. So no money from the label, and we make a hundred dollars a night to play. And we go out and we come up with some T-shirt designs. We order them. We don't have a boss. The label doesn't do that. And then all of a sudden, we're making fifteen hundred dollars a night in T-shirts. And you say, oh we have a clothing line. I mean, is really the best way to look at it. We have another business called clothing. I mean, I never thought, it wasn't what I set out to do or thought about, but then you realize, oh, that's a value or a way to monetize the art. Cause we had fans, but there was no way for us to get money from our fans. Cause we can't sell our own music and we can't uh, book our own shows to play at this point. But our, we had a record, it was out. And that was the way that we monetized at that time. So if you take that mindset early on and realize what's really going on, you, you will always see, if you stay connected to your business, you always see the potential to increase and grow things. It's hard to invent it out of thin air, um, but sometimes you, you can really get lucky with that. But the, the key to it is to, to uh, grow the things that are already working naturally and organically and do the things that you like and, and care about to, to make money. But, I, you know, I don't know about for you, but it's not, there's, and there's almost no chance of going from having a job and having no uh, independent income streams to starting having an income stream immediately, especially music, because it takes months to even get anything going, including a recording. So I'm interested for you, what in the world, how would you go at all into taking a, a stream and making it, I mean, you, do you even have a stream now that you could grow? See, right now I don't, you know, that's, 
that's kind of been my really predicament. I found out pretty not too not too long ago that I wasn't going to have you know my job anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know, I recently started with a few friends. We started getting into you know podcasting, um, mm-hmm. writing some music. Um, I've started getting heavily into web design. I'm going to try to lean into some of that. Now, the stuff. web design is is actually decent because the web design is the more easiest thing to. Uh, to monetize or become either freelance or get a job in because all of the business world and all of everybody uses web design. It's a way better skill and and creative nonetheless. So I would for sure try to that's the that's the all the stuff you're saying, that's the one that you could probably turn into a a monetizable skill in the marketplace. The music stuff and podcasting, I'm just going to say don't. I mean, do those things, but don't don't do them with a the thought of money and the money that you have and need for that. That's not I don't think that's the way to do it. Well, and I think that was I, that was one of the things I was kind of balancing because um, I never thought I really wanted to monetize because I, I don't want to end up hating it, you know. Mm-hmm. I honestly right. found as soon as you know, as soon as as soon as what I did at what I did at church and leading worship doing music became my stream of money, it, it became it. easy for me. To, it, it changes how you view your art. It changes how you view you know yourself as a person. Mm-hmm. Like it's been it's been interesting. It's been an interesting ride. Yeah, it is. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drop you off here, and I'll answer off air a little bit more about um, what my income streams are. But thank you, Daniel. I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna mute you, and then we'll move on to the next caller. But um, if in ca- and I do get a kick out of sharing personal information, so I'll do that whenever asked to. I'll do the best I can to explain it. I um, right now I think I make about fifty percent of my money from the Bad Christian Podcast. A very small amount from this, like hundreds a month at the most, from the Amazon thing and some people that contribute, which we really appreciate. Um, and sometimes we get advertisements on this, but it's not near what Bad Christian Podcast is. Those two, those two together, make up close to half of my income, and then Emory being the other half, and that is split up into the live touring, which is the biggest money we make on Emory, even more than all that money we raised on our crowdfund. We raised a hundred and. I actually feel stupid. I forgot what it was. $110,000 on our crowdfund. Spent every bit of that. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We put $4,000 each in Emory's pocket from that money. And that was you know two years ago now at least. And then we put the money into the album and the marketing, the videos and the production, everything else, and the fulfillment. And so then we get checks now every month for Emory uh, for streaming and for what we've sold and albums bought and vinyl and t-shirts and stuff like that. And that adds up to about hundreds of dollars each at least. And it's bigger at the first. So the first few months that You Were Never Alone was out, we would make th- in the thousands maybe a month. And now it's in the hundreds a month we make from Emory and Emory's music, which is great. And then the touring are these big chunks where we're able to really make money. I've, I've explained that on some other episodes. But we can make thousands of dollars on a, a two-week tour or even a weekend tour if we optimize it uh, really well. And then we still get some residual checks from publishing from our old records, but that's about 4000 a quarter. 3000 The last check we got was like $3,000 for the quarter from EMI Publishing, and then that's, we, we all split that up, and it's quarterly. So it's not a lot of money, and then obviously we have a lot of expenses just going on month to month, running, just running things. Um, and so it's been really good to have been been able to make the the podcast really work and BC and I say the podcast but also BC music and the other music we do and I'm trying to make more do more podcasts people keep coming to me to make more podcasts um, and have me help them so that's kind of some consulting and contract work that I'm able to do now too that all goes into 
and is fed from and works because of the creative stuff that I do that I just am focused on. And that's the way that I look at it. I'm fortunate. I'm lucky. But right now, the only thing on my brain almost every day is how to figure out how to make this camera work and look good. And what am I going to do on that screen? And will Facebook let me upload this? And then I'm going to do this all this work and set up these interviews and edit and do all this stuff to make a break it down podcast that does not return any kind of money per hour whatsoever but it's just what I'm it's just what I'm interested in doing and I believe that it will pay off long term and for me it has and like I said I've been very fortunate but it, it, it really pays off in the sense that people sometimes see me as a source or a consultant or an expert I take meetings all the time and so for me figuring out how live streaming works and podcasting and how to do it is really just about learning and and in improving myself and my personal capital and then that whole thing becomes part of my skill set that will take me to the next thing or earn money somehow somewhere but you've got to you've got to figure out how to balance that you should always be doing what is most exciting to you but you don't always have to make money doing it is the way i see that money can really mess it up if my wife loses her job i might have to stop doing all this stuff to tell you the truth that's just the way it is so fortunate for me but build income streams and then grow them you can't go whole hog into entertainment business and expect to make money you just can't do it somebody will but it probably won't be you that's the way i say somebody will but most of them them won't so you know low and slow is a way to do that okay madeline can you hear me, Madeline? Yeah. There you are. All right. Well, thank you for joining the show. I love it that my demographic isn't all male. Sometimes I think and I imagine out there, and I think, oh, it's just a bunch of 20-year-old, 22-year-old dudes. So I'm glad to see and actually have a face of somebody that is a female listener. Yeah. I don't know if that, if you represent one quarter or you know, one half of my demographic, but thank you for listening. What question have you got for us today? Where, for, where are you, first of all? Oh, um, I'm in Irvine, California. Very good. Yep. Okay. So, uh, my question is, eventually I'd like to start my own record label. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice on like how to do that? Well, did you hear the last question? Yeah. Did any of the, what did, what in that last so, rambling like, answer did you, what did you hear in there that was interesting or encouraging or discouraging? Um, well, discouraging, you said like, don't do I it. I said, don't do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just don't do it. Hey, my battery's going to die. So, um, did I convince, did I talk you out of it? Mm, not really. <laughs> You're going to do it anyway? Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, tell me more about your idea of a record label. What What do you uh, mean well, by record label? I want to like, I think there should be like more bands with female singers. Uh-huh. Well, I basically want to have like a record label with like, female fronted bands mm -hmm. i'm not sure if that would work like if it was just that or if i would need like other types of bands like like with male singers you know mm -hmm. well again i'm going to start with don't do it now if, if somebody can't be talked out of something and they're going to do something then fair enough but to put i'll start with the, the most grim way to look at it and that's that record labels are silly now i know i you know run one but it's it's i think they're very very um you know they're not cutting edge or leading and they're changing anyway so i would i would first of all say uh drop the terminology label don't say i want to start a record label because that's just 
that's that's really simply just saying, oh, I like music, I like labels, maybe I could do that, that would be good. And it's not necessarily thinking forwardly or thinking ahead, which is what it will take to be successful because the only other thing you could do would be have an unbelievable amount of uh, actual capital investment. Then you could maybe buy EMI. You'd need you know a couple billion do- dollars or something. Then you'd be in the record label game and you could run it maybe better than them. Sure, but you don't have. I'm guessing you're not uh, worth billions, right? No. Oh, okay, millions. Are you worth millions at least? No. Okay. Well, then you definitely can't try to enter the marketplace, even with these independent labels. Like, uh, I think Rise and Fearless Record, they're small labels, right? Well, they, I think they both sold last year for double-digit millions of dollars. That's how much those things cost because of their back catalog and what they're worth and stuff like that. So to try to enter in or compete with with those, which are old kind of businesses anyway, I mean, record labels are an old thing that is not... It's not the future anyway. So if you have a goal and a passion and something you care about, music or female-fronted stuff, I wouldn't discourage you from... um, following that or trying to do something that but on one hand i would say if your goal is uh, what everybody should always be doing is try to add value to other people so you don't want to just go make money off female fronted bands that's not you don't want to do that uh every tech startup every good business that is going to exist in the future is one where they're going to say i'm going to add value to the consumer i'm going to help them and then they're going to thank me for helping them you're going to do something for them. So in this case, it's either consume. You have to focus. Is it the consumer that you want to help get music from female-fronted bands, or is it female-fronted bands themselves that you want to help and add value to? Does either one of those sound m- yeah. more prominent than the other like, to you? I think like getting female-fronted bands out to people is what I want to do. As in, you want to help the female-fronted bands. Yeah. More yeah. than you're worried about consumers finding what they want. Okay, so yeah. um, that is 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 kind of interesting, and I don't think it's a crazy idea to focus. I would I would just not keep it on the label. I, I wouldn't focus on the label or not label or what exactly it is. But first thing you're going to do is figure out a way what you have to offer. Uh, female-fronted bands or what, whoever it is you're trying to add value to. So I do think that there is going to be more female stuff going forward, even affirmative action type stuff. I mean, who knows? You might could even do a nonprofit or write grants in a way that would support and fuel and feed a community of empowering females. Like my daughter Georgia is three now, almost three years old, and she's going to come up in a world that is way, way better for females to be able to do whatever they want. But it's still got a, we still got a long way to go to where um, she really feels or is going to be on an uh, equal playing field or, or you know, it, it's still harder for women in a way, which I don't think is a bad thing. Things just are the way they are. But there's probably stuff that could be done to assist the transition and people that women could do more things than maybe they think they can. So to me, I'm hearing more of a nonprofit or something, some organization. And I think it ultimately may be more satisfying for you unless, like I said, you have millions and are looking to turn it into billions because that's what record labels are about. No offense, and, and I run one, but the one I run – I don't like to call it a label for that reason, and I don't make any money doing it, like hundreds a month. So yeah, so you you, you come up with something better with the same goal and, and value adding would be my advice. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that helps. Okay. How old are you? Uh, 20. 20. Well, good luck, Madeline, and thank you for, for the question. <clears throat> okay, let's go over to Eric. Where are you? Uh, uh, Allen, Texas. Allen, Texas. Where's Allen there? That's basically uh, northeast of uh, Plano in Dallas, Texas. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's going on? Uh, nothing much. I had a question. I was wondering um, if Emory were to start like this year, 2016, mm-hmm. um, how would y'all go about, um, I guess, progressing as a band? Like worrying about like recording versus playing shows versus, you know, like how would, mm-hmm. what would be the progression that you guys choose to kind of do? Well, are you, <laughs> are you genuinely curious there or are you trying to start a band now? Uh. I don't think I'll ever be the kind of person mm-hmm. to be in a full-time band. I'm okay. actually curious. Okay, so you are, you're not necessarily looking for advice on how you ought to do it. You're, you are genuinely curious about well, uh, me and what I would do if I was starting out today versus in 2001. Yeah, because uh, you guys have been like, it's been cool watching you guys because you guys progress super creatively mm-hmm. as far as your approach to business, whether it be music, the podcast and stuff. And mm-hmm. just with that wisdom and then implementing it into like, like, let's say you just start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Well, it would be, you know, I always I start out with the skeptical, you know, hypothesis and, and view of things. And it would be really hard. And I don't think I wouldn't by any means predict success if we had to start today. And that's because um, it's just this really weird way where music's been spread so thin and i don't want to say it negatively it's not negative it's amazing that everybody can do music now like they can like i can and so can anybody else um people the baseline of of musicians of people that you would find these days are better just like people are smarter and understand math better as a culture i mean kids at guitar center today are way better than they were 10 and 20 years ago at guitar center uh everybody has access to everything and it compounds as society goes on uh, downside of that is there's a bazillion bands, and to ever get above the noise now is not um, easy to do, and and that's proven even more so when you see the reunion tours, the nostalgia bills, the uh, our ten year this and that anniversary stuff like that because the venues are still full, people are still listening to songs, but they're just it, it's really hard to get a new band in there, and so it, mm-hmm. we may be we may literally be past the point where bands can work hard on their own and just get out there now of course it'll happen statistically there'll be one in uh, a million one in a million new bands will gain notoriety sell a hundred thousand records earn livings but it may be used to be way less than that and emory particularly is extremely lucky because we came in at the era where it was the easiest possible crossover from being able to be heard yet the competition was less than ever before. So we were one of the earliest bands that was a, that was around and writing new stuff when recording became affordable, when the internet started to be uh, proliferating and, and MySpace and things like that where people could first discover. At, in those days, in 2001, 2, 3, 4, and 5, people were just, they were all over this new internet thing looking for bands to please find that they could listen to, that they could stream or download on mp3.com. They were just dying to find music. So we happened to be able to be there at that time. And so we were great beneficiaries of, of that wave where you also could 
book your own tour on the internet. You could go out. You could make relationships. You could impress labels because they weren't hearing a million bands. And the era previous to that, there were only a few bands, and almost nobody thought they were going to be in one. And there was, and there, you know, there was nothing but huge bands, and then nothing. And then the two thousands, you had this explosions of bands that all they had to do was really get to it, try hard, not mess up have some talent and just keep going, keep going, keep going. And that you, you know, this, it was one in a hundred thousand or one in 50,000. I don't know what the stat would be, but it was a way easier uh, entry there. And now it's incredibly hard and people will succeed. And I unfortunately don't know how I do know that all the stuff that we do that is other media based, like podcasting and releasing our own music and crowdfunding and (coughs) video and making our own videos and, uh, Shoot, I mean, do uh, living room tours and live acoustic stuff and ten year anniversary tours. Those are all. I, I don't think they're grasping at straws. I think those are the best ways these days. But none of it would work if we didn't have a nostalgia factor. Or people didn't know. Oh, Matt from Emory does that podcast. It wouldn't work if I just was a uh, a talent on the mic talking into onto Blab or Skype right now. Nobody would care. He wouldn't. I'm not an, a transcendent or emergent talent in. in in podcasting, nor on guitar. Trust me, I'm just not. We figured it out. We worked hard. Did ten thousand hours at something at a time when it was right, and and it kind of worked out. So negatively speaking, I don't know, but I do think if I had to try right now, the only prayer I would have would be to do something outrageous, not music related. So the quickest way to become a famous musician now is to do something like, I mean, I guess I would say have a sex tape or something. Like you got to figure out, you got to be known for something else so you could translate it into a music thing. So, you know, if you if you did something, and I'm being obnoxious, but if you had some other outrageous way to get a story apart across and then people could know who you were then if you had some music that also was great which would be hard if you were just a publicity hound so let's say that guy that's the pharma guy martin shakrelli or something everybody knows who he is and he's probably a douchebag but if he comes out with an album he's got a shot now let's say he comes out with album and it's like mind-blowingly incredible who knew well he'll, he'll be okay he will sell lots he will be fine but he probably doesn't have any talent at music, so it doesn't work. You know, Hulk Hogan made a, a, a an album once, and it's the funny. You look it up. Look up Hulk Hogan's <laughs> thing. He sings uh, it's Hulk Hulk the Hulk Man in Heaven or something like that. It's hilarious. So everybody, look up Hulk Hogan. If you have a name, you can put out music, but that doesn't. You know, the music would have to be good too. But I would suggest mm-hmm. getting a name for yourself some other way, and then putting out a music if you had the requisite talent needed. That's the only formula I could think of today. So. That's what I would do. Right on. And then uh, one more quick question. Um, I notice uh, you're one of the few musicians I watch that doesn't seem to care too much about gear. Like you go walk right. into a room as a squire and like a practice amp. You're like, cool, mm-hmm. when the show start? That's right. Um, when did that begin? Because I'm sure everyone has that moment where they're like a, a gearhead mm-hmm. and uh, been there, done that. And I've been trying to think of like just, okay, well – I'm not going to be doing this long term. Would I be fine with an M13 from Line 6? Right. Um, well, so everybody does start out as more of a gearhead. And then some people really are gearheads, and I don't fault them or blame them or say they're silly or it's fake or whatever. But gear, to some degree, there's people that are really pure about it, and they really love it, and they really have nuanced views of this amp or this pedal and stuff. I just am not one of those people. I don't have – I literally don't have – 
the, a good enough ear to tell the difference in, in this pedal or that pedal or this mic pre and that mic pre. And I, I'm a recording engineer. I know exactly what I'm doing, and it's fine. Trust me, it's fine. I don't care if it's a Neve or an API or don't really care if it's the internal uh, preamp in my Universal Audio Apollo interface. I, I really don't care. I just don't. And I don't think it matters. Now, there is a difference, and some people can hear it. 99% of people are just buying into an industry and marketing and um, fantasy. You know, and it's fun. I mean, it's fun to, to chase down something nice or rare or exotic or know that it's high quality for the peace of mind. But it's, it's a lot of marketing that goes into it. So when we first started our band, I, I just thought if I get the right combination of head and cab, it then will stand out. And I, I did this weird thing where I was using a Mesa Boogie through an Ampeg bass cab, uh, and I thought it sounded unique. And I was like, this is it. This is going to make us this is going to work. We're going to get big now. I thought I'd cracked it or figured it out. Of course, that never mattered. But I did believe it did at the time. I, I thought that it mattered. And by the time you've been in a band, or for me, I've flown to enough festivals where I couldn't take my gear. And then I just, you, you, you can't control it sometimes. And you have to make do with what's there. And then you at some point, you go, oh, well, it's actually fine. All I want now is something reliable. So I'm so big on utility and reliable. An amp that has a 90-button foot switch don't let that thing near me. I don't care what it sounds like. Give me the the old Mesa Boogie dual rectifier with all the knobs straight up that has the single button, unbelievably bulletproof, bomb-proof foot switch that it light, turns red when I step on it, and you could run a tank over it, and you could replace the quarter-inch cable that goes in and out of it. That's what I want. I, I don't care. Maybe you have a Bogner boutique amp that costs $6,000. I don't care. Save it. I don't know what those knobs do. doesn't matter. I don't know what this one, the push-in buttons do on that thing. It might be fun to play with, but I've got other things to worry about the way the way I look at it. So I, I don't care, and I get a little bit of a kick out of saying, well, just get me a Marshall and a Mesa, and I'll be fine, or or whatever. So there's some gear you can't, you can't use, but I've developed that and then leaned into that over time. And part of it is because I, I don't know if I can hear the difference, you know. Uh, we, were watching, we were playing with From Autumn to Ashes once when I was in my gear stage, and I walked in, and Brian, their guitar player, was playing, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that is the best-sounding guitar amp I've ever heard. And I, I went up there to the front of the stage. I was like, hey, Brian, what, what is that? And, you know, I get up there and, and try to talk to him. It was the first night of the tour or something. He's got a dual rectifier playing a Les Paul, and literally all the knobs were pretty close to straight up. Just, And I was like, oh, I'm so stupid. Like, I played <laughs> a Les Paul and then a Mesa Boogie. Brian is awesome. He is incredible. The, and he would do just like strum an open drop D chord, and it was like, whoa. But it was in tune. The strings were clean. And just the way you strum a chord and understand the, the way that amp's going to respond when you own it and have that confidence. And it, there really is tone in your left and right hand. I mean, that is, that's where it comes from. It comes from your brain. It comes from your hands. If you're a drummer, all that stuff. It, it, and then, you know, Dave, if you put Dave Grohl on a kid's drum set, uh, Pacific drum set or a... First act drum set from Walmart, it would he would be awesome. You would love the sounds that he would that would come out of that. It would sound amazing. It would be fine. And if he wanted to use it on a recording, uh, you could figure that out, and it would be different possibly. But you would like it. If you if you uh, something I'd like to do is record an Emory song only using a fifty seven. That's an experiment what I want to do in the future, and it it won't turn out exactly the way it would, but I think it would turn out almost the same. I, I, so I'm going to do that at some point in the future is take a 57, record all the tracks with just one of those. Maybe I'll sample the drums or maybe I'll just have to make get the drums to sound right with just one 57. But you could do it if you had to, if you know what you're doing. And yeah. so thus, gear, you could save a whole lot of money 
and when you when you realize that that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. All right, cool. Thank you, brother. All right, appreciate it, Eric. Okay, well, let's get on to Bruce here. We're doing good. I'm enjoying this. Uh, Bruce, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Matt, how you doing? Very, oh, you got a mic. We got a professional. Huh. I'm a gearhead. Sorry. You're a gearhead. Sorry. Did I, did I walk on you and insult you with my last answer? No, I don't care. Everyone says that. <laughs> what What kind of stuff are you into? Are you, are you a musician or just a tech guy? Both. I'm I'm a musician. I'm also um, an IT administrator, sysadmin, developer, all those sorts of things. I'm Good. also a worship leader. Good. So, well, people that can things. back up their tech talk and really know what they're talking about, I, I have no problem with them. Um, sure. But I also have no problem saying, oh, I, I don't hear the difference in, in this or that. But I can tell you've got a nice microphone that sounds great. So what's your question? Um, so I was basically, I'm interested in the technical side of things a little bit. Okay. And um, I'm just wondering, how are you going about distribution of mm-hmm. your audio production? So especially online. So um, anything musical that you put out, anything podcast related that you put out, are you using some sort of centralized uh, CDN that does it for you? Are you manually doing it? Like how much technical prowess? Do you have? I mean, um, and you're asking across all outlets from from music to podcasts, to different podcasts yeah, to video yeah, I'm, to everything. I'm kind of curious how you how you've decided to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, first of all, what does CD? I know what CDN is, as in if I upload something to Amazon uh, AWS, it's a, and it'll have a CDN address, and I can host files there. But what is? Okay, let me see if I can guess. Is it Content Delivery Network or something like that? What is, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. What is it? Not what 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 is about right? What is it actually? Do you know? That's right. Yeah, Content okay. Delivery Network. Oh, good. Distribution network. Very good. Distribution mm-hmm. network. Okay. And you did say distribution. Okay. So here's the thing. I know there's probably better tech and IT things. I don't have an IT person. Uh, I do. I live south of you if you need one. South where? I live in Puyallup. Oh, that's actually pretty good. I, I, yeah. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll hit you up. But the problem yeah. is everybody's a multitasker. Everybody doing entertainment and stuff. There's so many things. So even if you were just focused on one thing, podcasting, well, really and truly, all the, the effort spent into the creative and the preparation is always the time better spent. So I try to do less technical stuff as possible as t- time goes on. I try to get it easier and automated. And if you, if other, since everybody realizes that and since tech has developed so well and so fast, we're in a situation now where platforms that add value to creators dominate. And so there's some drawbacks there, but the bottom line is I use I am super dependent on Facebook to get this stream out there. So all I'm trying to do is hook up to them. SoundCloud has the best embedding looking embed players that work everywhere. So I put the SoundCloud I put our podcast on SoundCloud because it's just elegant and simple and they add a lot of value and it doesn't cost very much at all. But we also host a podcast on a company called Libsyn, which is a really good podcast host, has a lot of features, analytics, and that's what controls the feed of the podcast itself. And so then with music, of course, we use not you know iTunes, and iTunes does podcasting, and iTunes does everything. But there's also all the like uh, we use a service called TuneCore that distributes not only to iTunes but to Amazon and to a thousand other uh, online music. Uh, outlets, which I've never heard of and would never in a million years take the time to up, upload Emery's album to uh, this small mu- online music store in Bangladesh. But TuneCore mm-hmm. does that. And so I'm mm-hmm. glad to pay TuneCore and for me to not know how that works. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. I was, you know, are you using something like TuneCore, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the case. Yeah, we, um, I'll use any service, and it's crazy because then you start looking and you go, oh, we pay this yearly, we pay this monthly. Um, well, here's the great news. We don't have an office. We don't have a warehouse. We don't have a server farm. So, yeah. you know, you have to make smart decisions, and it can really be a headache when you have – I mean, we have two podcast hosts, and we pay for an app that we can load, upload it to. So publishing this episode tonight will take me or other people who are going to do it way longer than it ought to. I mean, I'm going to have to mm-hmm. put the description in, post it, upload the URL, manage it, make sure it's right on the app, and it comes over here and then whatever. But, you know, there's, you know, so when software and companies and stuff are able to unify stuff, that's great. But realistically, we're dependent on the platforms and channels to do what they can. So YouTube's great. Facebook's great. I mean, you just have to do them all is the bottom line. But no, we don't do any internal, like I said, we don't have a server farm or an IT place, or I don't even know what that would be. I mean, I understand that it could be possible to build to build that stuff for it would, the infrastructure required to build and maintain is not something we could do. you could probably save some money in in the long run but you know services dominate these days is the bottom line yeah sure um i had a follow up question about guitar playing if you don't mind nope um the, so i'm a guitar player myself and i find myself recording often when i well when i get a chance um but what happens a lot is i feel like everything i'm doing is derivative mm-hmm. and so i get really well um, it is but now you got to keep yeah. moving Everything that yeah, I do, so, everything that everybody does is derivative 100% without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Now, what are you going to do is the question. Yeah, well, so, I mean, the question is, do I just, do I throw things out there and, and just say, well, this is what I've created. I'm sorry, it, it might sound like lots of other things. Or do you just, you know, try your best at, 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 re, mm-hmm. at you know, retaking it and doing your best to manipulate it? I mean, all those sorts of things come to mind. And it's kind of an amateur question, but... It's no, it's not. Know. It's it's a it's a decent question. But first of all, you know what's wrong is you said should you <laughs> try to manipulate it and say, well, sorry, it turned out like this. Whatever. First of all, if you're creating something, if you're not intentionally trying to steal or whatever, the 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 mindset of apologizing or managing the way other people hear art that is negative. Don't do that. Okay. So first of all, if you're making creative stuff. What's the reason you're making it? You're making it to satisfy your ear. Okay, so that's the guy. Not, how, not if somebody else says, oh, that sounds like Tom Petty or My Chemical Romance. Don't worry about that. You worry about do you like it And first. And if you can't get to that point, then yeah, keep working on it. But don't, um, you can't manage other people's reception of it anyway. So uh, another secret of people that are successful a lot of times is they have this power of what I would call ignorance. Uh, and it's embodied best by really young, um, charismatic performers and creators because they they probably are copying. They probably don't know this. They're probably not near as good as they think they are. But man, does it work because they're just in it and they're on and they're ignorant and they're not self conscious. And they're and that is so powerful. It's confidence. It's leadership. And I'm not. So, telling anybody to copy or be an ignorant dummy, but it does actually work to people's advantage a lot. So if you have a good amount of talent coupled with a, a decent amount of arrogance and ignorance, it can actually be a really good formula for, for creators. So if you're like me or like you and you are a technical person or a very analytical person, you, that's it, it can be a good thing, but it can be a real drawback because I know Whenever I write something on guitar, I know what it's like. I know the chord progressions in every song I hear on the radio. I, I can name. I know exactly what it is the second it's coming off of my fingers, and it's it's a it's a bummer. 
but I have to make yeah. sure I don't feel that way. So a lot of times what I'll do is write on an instrument that I don't know well. I'll play the drums or uh, piano, which I'm not as good at, or mm-hmm. a toy clarinet if I could get it. If I can get, then I don't recognize it. It doesn't feel like anything. And then if it excites me, I can move forward. But that's just a trick. That if you're doing yeah. something creative, you have to make it good for you, and you have to know it's good. And then, it's, and, and then it's not your job to manage how other people uh, hear it anyway. They don't even worry yeah. about it. What's I mean? What's the worst thing that could happen? You lose millions because you have millions and got millions, and then somebody sued you later? Like, if you're not setting out to do that, it's not going to happen, first of all. Any of those times where there's a lawsuit and somebody owes somebody else millions of dollars, yeah, well, first of all, they had millions of dollars. They're very successful, and they probably really did copy it in, in the first place. But so what? I mean, that's not that's, – I don't think that's what you're talking about. And you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked for all the songs that you heard that, that Emory started um, that I was like, well, you can't use that because it sounds like this. And then by the time the song's done and it's arranged different and sung different, there's a different melody or different approach, it, you could never, ever in a million years, the stuff that you almost quashed because you thought it sounded like something else will turn out so different in the long run. Um, you know, don't be a, a, a bad person that's trying to steal because that's cheap and stupid, but don't mm-hmm. worry about it. If, some, if it comes to your attention later that it, is influenced by something or sounds like something that you didn't know about. Do not worry about it. It will turn out different. And so squashing creative ideas is not ever a good thing if you like it. Sure. Well, thanks for taking the time, man. I'll go one farther, and then we'll, okay. we'll wrap up. I'll go one farther and say I copy stuff directly, and here's how I do it. Since I'm analytical, since I know how other songs go and can pick them out you know, essentially by just listening a couple of times through them, I know exactly what's going on. What I'll do is find something that I like and the thing that I want to copy about, let's say there's something I want to copy about a Tom Petty song. Okay, how about a Madonna song? I once copied a Madonna song. This is my whole premise. I'll, I'll give this one away here and she can sue me if she likes. I heard at karaoke, I heard Papa Don't Preach by Madonna and I loved the way it felt. I thought, man, that Papa, don't preach. And the drums went with the vocal on that. I was like, ding, 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 ding. And I just thought, whoa, that feels so good right now. I want to write a song that's like that. So I did. And that song is returning the smile you've had from the start on the question. And there's that bass part in the middle where it's clean and quiet. And it's ding, 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 ding. And that's just, to me, I was thinking, Papa, don't preached that's where the what the kick rhythm is i changed the bass notes then toby wrote some melody then i wrote a heavy part before and after it never in a bazillion years does that sound like madonna in ever in a bazillion years and i'm telling you i heard the madonna song and said that's it let me go copy that right now so sure if there's something you are trying to copy literally all you have to do is change every other element other than the one thing if you identify the one thing you love about the thing you're trying to copy and then change the tempo and the key and the melody and the style and the arrangement then the one thing that you love it won't even be copying by the time if it's inspirational to you then you will be further inspired and the people you create with will also be inspired by it and that's great so you could do that sure, all the time. It's not, it's not copying. Yeah. It's not illegal. It's not wrong. It's not immoral. And, it, and, and so thank you for Madonna for inspire, inspiring a popular Emory song that I literally was trying to copy. Right. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. All right. I'm going to let you go here. Okay, everybody. That was uh, great. I mean, uh, 
hope that the beginning of the episode recorded, although I'm not sure that it did. But you will uh, you will just have to live with it. Thanks again to everybody on Adobe Radio. And really, anybody who's watching this live, this is a new thing um, that I'm just trying to figure out how to do. But I love it. I'm, I'm not multitaskable, multitask-able enough in to be able to really interact or look at the comments. I'm going to try to get to that. And I, I'm glad I got to interact with some people right here. I had to set it up a little bit of ahead of time just to manage it. But the live thing is fascinating to me. I am just enthralled with it. And we're going to be doing our Emory Acoustic Show live uh, this way. We're going to try and get a couple cameras and see if we can get a higher quality thing and even better audio. But we're doing an Emory Acoustic Show on April 30th in Seattle. And so we're going to try and stream that. I want to make it free to everybody because everybody ha- isn't going to be able to make it to these special shows we're doing with Devin. Um, so if you could join us on that night, you can go. It probably isn't out yet, but stay tuned on uh, emoryacoustic.com. I'll get a link up soon where you can pre-register for that. I just want to alert you to it now. And I'm going to take some tips and donations on that. I decide to make it free for everybody just for the experiment. And that way, if it goes poorly, I won't be in trouble or have anybody's money. But if it goes well that night, it would be cool if anybody wanted to pay what they want or tip a few dollars. I'll put it toward a camera. I'm borrowing this camera, looking at buying one this week. Uh, got some software that we're running on now. Going to do an encoder, do some other stuff. I guess it feels like podcasting and music these days is all about asking for money, which is weird. Um, but... I guess, uh, you know, it's one of my income streams. But I'm going to try and raise some money to get some streaming equipment and see if we can just grow this thing. And really, it's just to learn more skills personally because it's fascinating to me to play with the technology and, and get out there and do things different. So being on internet streaming radio, live on YouTube, Facebook, amazing. Podcasting feed, amazing. I get, I'm just super thrilled to be doing this. It's quite an adventure. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode today. It wasn't, you know, without a guess, it's just me, but... You know, this is Break It Down with Matt Carter, so what are you going to do? You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.